Uh, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, I'm curious, how many of you have already given, if you have kids, maybe you do this and it doesn't matter if you have kids or not, I've given out an Easter basket today, raise your hand. All right, how many of you are planning to do so, raise your hand. How many of you, did I ruin your surprise already? Um, I hope I didn't do that, but uh, we do that at our house, and um, we probably do that at, at most places. Um, it's not, uh, some of you I may have already offended, and that's okay, like, uh, but nevertheless, I know in our house we do that. Most houses you do that, and if you remember uh, way back, and you, all of your kids are grown and all of that, you remember the excitement right in your kids' faces? Like at our house, what we do is Lori, my wife, loves to write these little clues, and then they got to go hunting around at the place that the clue reveals where their certain object is. She still does this with our kids, and they're 14 and 11, and they love it. But maybe you do that as well. I'm curious. For me, I think to myself, I love that, and what my favorite all of you have favorite candy, like that only comes out at Easter? Oh yeah, for sure I do. Um, let me give you mine. So here are my two favorite. I love Cadbury eggs. Now not the little ones, like the big ones with like the goo inside. Like I love those. I remember like when I was a little kid going across the street to after Easter and getting them for a quarter afterwards and making myself sick on those. And here's the other thing I love. I love Reese's peanut butter eggs. Man, I hit a nerve with that. So just look to the person next to you real quick and tell them your favorite Easter candy. Real quick, real quick. Just do it real quick. Most of you are probably saying Reese's peanut butter eggs. Um, I'm curious, how many of you have already had a Reese's peanut butter egg? All right, that's what I thought. Well, I'm going to tell you something that I know you already Maybe expecting me to say, you may believe this. I hope that you do. You may be in here and you don't believe this, and I'm glad that you're here. But what I want you to know today is that there is no Easter without the resurrection. That that's what today is about. And here's the idea that I want you to really get today, to really understand today. It's this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ reminds us that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. That that is the hope that we have today, that Jesus was not left on that cross or left in that tomb, but that Jesus Christ is alive today. Now here's what we know. There's, you may be in here this morning. You may have friends that are not here this morning. You may have Co-workers, you may have neighbors, and there's a lot of skeptics that would look at the resurrection and look at this event and would say, man, there's no way that that possibly happened. There would be people that would refute that in different places, in different circles of academia. And let me just, let me just talk about that, and let's not pretend that, that those arguments don't exist. And one of the things that they love to point to is they love to look and they say, man, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every one of those gospels shares a little something different about this event that happened in human history that at least we are believing that happened, they would say. And there's so many contradictions in this resurrection story. So let's just address those. Some people would say, 
just look at this. You have the different individuals that are talked about in each one of the Gospels that are present there at the resurrection. And look at the contradictions. After all, in Matthew, it says that there's two women and one angel. And then you go to Mark, and it says there's three women and one angel. Then you go to Luke, and now you have more than three women being at the tomb. And you have two angels or two persons at the tomb which is the passage of scripture that we're going to be in this morning. And then you go to John, and you have one woman mentioned at the tomb and two persons. Now think about this. Think about when you've described an event that you have attended. Let's just go for, so we can address all parties in the room. Let's just address a wedding. I'm pretty sure every person has been at a wedding at some point in their life. And think about a wedding. And if someone was to ask you, tell me about that wedding, Every one of you would point out a different aspect of that wedding. Let me get more personal. Let's get more personal. Think about your wedding if you're married. Or even if you're no longer married, think about that wedding or whatever it was. Think about that wedding. Like I think about my wedding, and here's what I remember about that wedding. I remember the date, thankfully. July 17th, 1999. I remember the date. That's That's a good thing, right? And I remember for sure how Lori looked my wife. I remember that. I remember the guys that were in my, that were my groomsmen. But if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't even remember all the bridesmaids. I don't remember what the flower arrangements look like. I don't even remember what we ate. I don't remember a lot of those things. I promise you, if I brought Lori up here, she probably could rattle off every one of those things. And probably the same is true with you. So when you think of an event, just as get, just a wedding, for example, everyone, if I interviewed a crowd like this, or I even interviewed just your family, and I said, tell me about that wedding, some of you would say, well, I remember who the pastor was. Well, I remember who the bride and groom were. I remember what she wore. I can't believe what she wore. Whatever it is, you would, you would pull out certain events, but I promise you, if I interviewed even four of you, you all would emphasize different things. So when we look at the accounts of the resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even though it may appear at first blush that there's contradictions, the reality is, is those different things that are emphasized, whether it's two women or three women or two angels or one angels, those actually show that these accounts are legitimate. Because one would wonder if every one of these accounts were exactly the same, that something was being planned. But the fact that they emphasize different aspects, and one angel stood out to Matthew, and, and, and three women stood out to Luke, and whatever that is, that actually shows that this story is legitimate from the reality of that they aren't all exactly the same. It's just like you or I describing an event. That's important to understand. It's important to realize, not to mention That in that day, it would have been completely taboo for women to be the messengers of such an announcement. But here in all the accounts, the women are the ones that tell the other disciples that Jesus Christ is risen, which is just another reason why this for sure is a legitimate event that happened in human history. Not to mention that we're also told that over 500 witnesses saw Jesus Christ after he rose again. I tell you what, if I'm bringing a crowd this size into a courtroom to testify that I'm not guilty of something, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances. And so would you. So let's just, let's just talk about that elephant in the room. Let's get that out of the way because here's the reality. 
Every one of us are approaching Easter in one of three ways today. Some of us have come in these doors today and we're kind of passive. Like we've been to 30 Easter's in our life. 40 Easter's, 50 Easter's, 70 Easter's, maybe even 80 Easter's, maybe even 90. And you're like, yeah, it's Easter. Woohoo. Jesus is risen. And you're coming in passively. Maybe you're here today and you may not be coming in passively, but you're coming in skeptically. And so you've come in these doors and you're like, yeah, I, I did my mom a favor. I showed up on Easter so she would stop hounding me. Or I showed up on Easter so my husband or wife would stop hounding me, or my aunt or uncle, or my neighbor, or my coworker, or whatever it is. And so you've come in skeptically, and you're not saying Jesus is risen with a period at the end. You're saying Jesus is risen with a couple question marks at the end. And that's okay. I'm so glad you're here today. And maybe there's a third group of us today, and I hope this is the majority of us today that are not coming in passively and are not coming in skeptically, but we are coming in joyfully because we believe that Jesus Christ is risen because the resurrection, come on, you can clap for that, that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And that's so important to understand because here's the reality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not risen, we are without hope. Listen, if Christ isn't risen, let's all go home. Let's all take off our nice clothes. Like, I'm, I'm just happy I remember to tie a tie. Like, it's been a while. Like, let's just take off all of our nice clothes. Let's go watch some basketball or sporting event or whatever it is or do shopping or eat or whatever. Let's just call it a day. Because Paul says if Jesus Christ isn't risen, our, our faith is dead. But we know it's not. So look at Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. I gave you enough time to get there, right? Look at what it says in verse 1 of this account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Who's they? That's the ladies that will be mentioned here later on. Taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That means shining, glitterly, like to put it in our terms, man, they were, they, they had a lot of bling, right? I mean, it was, it was bright. It was shining. You couldn't miss it. Just look to the person next to you and say, you look dazzling today. Guys, you can be okay with that. Be okay with that. Trust me. Verse five, and it says, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, so these women are shocked, they're, they're scared, they're anxious, they see these two angels, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Remember 11, because Judas betrayed Jesus and had committed suicide. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary. So now we have the individuals mentioned and there was other women there that aren't mentioned. So there was an entourage of ladies going to anoint Jesus' body with these spices. With them who told these things to the apostles. Look at the disciples' response, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter 
rose and ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Listen to me, here's what I wanna do in the remainder of our time this morning because I want us to relish and, and sit and think about that the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that Jesus is victorious. He's victorious over death. And because he's victorious over death and he had power over death, listen to me, there's three things that I wanna give you this morning that he has power to do, to accomplish in your life. And here's the first one. Look at verse seven again. Look at the gospel that the angels remind these women of, of why Jesus came. Look at what it says. It says, but the son of man, that's speaking of Jesus, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and on the third day rise. Here's the first thing that I want you to understand, that Jesus has the power to bring what is dead to life spiritually in your life. Spiritually. That's so important to understand because what we need to understand so that we can grasp the significance of this day is we need to ask ourselves, first of all, the question, why did Jesus have to come and to live and to die and to be risen? Why did that even have to take place? Because if I ask some of you that question, the reality is, is you probably could not give an answer. And so let's let the word of God give the answer for you this morning so that you can have the hope and the victory that is promised because Jesus Christ is alive. Here's why he had to die. It's because God is holy, God is perfect, and you are not, and I am not. That's the reality. None of us are perfect. Psalm 14, verses two and three says, the Lord looked down from heaven on the children of man to see if there were any who were, who were looked at, understood, and who sought after God, and they have all turned aside. Who's they? That's you and me. That's all of humanity. They all have turned aside. Together they have been corrupt. There is no one that does good, not even one. I've never had to convince anyone in my entire life that they were a sinner. You don't have to convert, convince me that I am a sinner. We're all sinners. We've all done things we regret. We all have done things that we are ashamed of. And what Psalm 14 says is that God looks down and he sees the humanity that he created and he looks for anyone who's perfect and the reality is none of us are. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, say all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of the perfection of a holiness that God has set. God is perfect, I am not, which means that there's this gap between me and God, my sinfulness, God's holiness. And so often what we wanna do to bridge that gap is we say to ourselves, man, if I can do enough good, then hopefully the good will outweigh the bad and when I stand before God one day, he'll say, man, look at all the good that you've done. Look at all the money that you gave to charity. Look at the, the way that you loved your spouse. Look at the way that you raised your kids. Look at the way that you loved your neighbors. Look at the way that you spoke against racism and prejudices. Look at all these things that you have done. Man, look at all the good that you've done. And yeah, I know that you're not perfect, but the good outweighs the bad. And that's most people. But Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteous deeds... All of those things that I mentioned that are amazing things that we ought to give our lives to. All of those righteous things in our eyes are like a polluted, rotten garment before a holy God. Why? Because of that standard, God is perfect and I am sinful. So there's nothing that I can do to ever reach that standard that God 
has required of humanity. So that's why Jesus Christ had to die. He had to die because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and God is perfect. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Jesus Christ came to die not only because of your sin and that God is holy, but he also came to die because he loves you. He loves you. Some of you have come in these doors this morning and you don't feel loved. Some of you have come in this morning and you feel betrayed and you feel abandoned by those that you thought loved you the most. But what I want you to understand is you will not find a greater love than the love that Jesus Christ has had for you. The love that we've sung about this morning. The love that is portrayed in the resurrection. But if I'm going to understand that Jesus has the power to bring what's dead to life in me spiritually, I have to understand that I'm sinful and God is perfect and that God loves me. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says this. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. I'm pretty sure that you here today, if you're a good person, would say, I'd die for my kids because I love my kids. I'd die for my spouse because I love my spouse. I'd die for even my friend because I love my friend. And what Romans 5, 7 says is that that would be a tall task, but there's people that would do it. But here's the love of God. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates, he shows, he puts on display, that's what that word means, his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, when we were at your, our worst, when you were at the very bottom of your life, think about it right now, not in a, not in a horrible way, but just to feel that that's when God loved me, when I did that, when I was there, when I hit rock bottom, what does the verse say? God demonstrates his love for us in that in the midst of my sin, at my worst. That's, that's when Christ died for me. Listen to me, my sin demands justice. If God is perfect, then that means that when something bad happens, there has to be a punishment for it. There has to be justice. If God didn't demand justice for wrongdoing, then he wouldn't be perfect and he wouldn't be righteous. And because God demanded justice, Jesus stood in the gap because Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. Spiritual death, separation from God for all of eternity. For the wages of sin is death. But I love when you so often find the word but, B-U-T, in the New Testament because that means something better's coming. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I can't pay the price for my sin. Why? What did we say? Isaiah 64, 6. All my righteous deeds are like a polluted garment before a holy God. And so if I can't pay my sin, then that means someone else has to pay my sin. And if I can't pay my sin and you can't pay my sin and there's no substitute who can stand in my place, then we are all doomed. But thankfully, we celebrate today that there was the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he left his throne in heaven and he came down and he lived perfection and he died on the cross and he is risen today and he paid the price for for my sin. Listen to 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, that he might bring us to God. Listen to me. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make spiritually dead people alive. And the power that we celebrate this morning 
The power of the resurrection shows you and me that he can take what is dead and bring it to life spiritually in me. But here's the second thing. He can also do that circumstantially in you. Not just spiritually, but circumstantially. You know, in verses one through five of this passage of scripture, it says these women came and they went in and they were looking looking to anoint Jesus' body, but they didn't find him there. And it says that they were perplexed. That word perplexed means they were anxious. And they were frightened, it says in verse five. And then it's interesting that these angels say to them, and I can even picture it, though we don't know the tone in which they said it. I'm just picturing in my mind that they probably said it very calmly. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you so down? See, these women went to the tomb experiencing and living in a state of failure and doubt and fear and despair. They thought their Savior was dead. They thought that their hopes were gone. That's how they came to the tomb. So much so that they allowed their experience and their circumstances of Jesus' death to cloud them from remembering what Jesus already told them. See, Jesus told them in his life that it did not end on the cross. Matthew 16, 21 tells us that, that Jesus showed them that he had to die and be risen. So this was not something that they weren't expecting. This was not something they were told. But because they allowed their circumstances to be the thing that they focused on, It caused them to forget what the Lord had already said. And these angels remind them of the truth that they had forgotten by asking that question in verse 5. Listen to me. Get this. Understand this. That when we look in the wrong places for hope, when we look in those wrong places, it will always result in our life and manifest itself in anxiousness, fear, doubt, and despair. And some of us are looking in the wrong places for what Jesus' resurrection has provided. We're looking everywhere else for that hope. We're looking at everywhere else for that contentment. We're looking everywhere else for that joy. And what the Lord is asking you today is why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why do you keep searching in other things when you already know that I have the power to bring what is dead to life in you circumstantially? Listen, we need to stop focusing on the process. We need to stop focusing on the circumstances in our life because here's the reality, and I know this to be true in my life, circumstances change. I can have a bad day one day. I can have a good day the next. I can go home today on this amazing Sunday that celebrates Jesus' resurrection, and I can get a call that absolutely crushes me with bad news. And if I am focusing on the process and the circumstances in my life, what that will do is that will make me forget the promise that Jesus Christ has given that is testified in the resurrection, that he has the power to bring what seems dead in my life circumstantially to life and this morning what we need to stop doing is focusing on the process and point our eyes back to the promise so that gives us perspective in the process we need to bring ourselves to that reality because look at what happens to the women when they're reminded of what the angels tell them that they already know 
what it says. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, they took all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things. Listen to me. As soon as they remembered what they already knew, do you see how things changed in their countenance? Do you see how things changed in their perspective? Because they remembered the promise. They remembered what Jesus had already told them. And they see now that Jesus has fulfilled it. And all of a sudden, that sorrow was turned into joy. That uncertainty and that fear was turned into assurance. That despair was turned into joy and happiness and hope. And some of us this morning, you know what we need to do today? Oh, we believe that Jesus Christ brought what was dead to life in us spiritually. We've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But some of us are here today and we have allowed circumstances to cause us to rob us of the joy that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what the Lord wants us to do today is peer into the empty tomb and remind ourselves that whatever the circumstances that we are going through right now, we need to look in the empty tomb and remind ourselves that Lord, if you had the power to raise yourself from the dead. Why would I not believe that you have the power to get me through the circumstances that I am experiencing right now? Here's the third thing, and it's mentioned in verses 11 and 12. See, Jesus also has the power to bring what is dead to life in you emotionally. Not just spiritually, not just circumstantially, but emotionally. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Now these women, and they've come, they've come back to tell the disciples, the apostles, these 11 and others with them that are gathered together in this room, frankly, hiding, because they're scared to death. Look at what it says. But these words, when the women tell them, you would expect the apostles' response to be, yes, man, we're so excited, we're so thrilled. Because Jesus Christ is risen. We remember what he told us when he was alive. We were hoping that it would happen, and now you're telling us it has. The response isn't that, is it? Look at what it says. It seemed to them an idol. That word idol literally means crazy. Like it appeared to them as something of craziness. Ridiculous. And they did not believe them. But Peter... John talks about Peter and himself. John, they went to the tomb, and looking in, they saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what has happened. Listen to me. I don't want to minimize this, but I know it's a reality for some of us in this room. Is that some of us have come in these doors, and we're so emotionally down, and we're so emotionally discouraged, And we're so emotionally crushed that it actually is causing us, because we're looking at our circumstances, we're looking at the process instead of the promise, that it's caused us to actually look at the resurrection. And we may even be here today. And the reason why you're passive or the reason why you're skeptical is because you've allowed your emotions to get you to to stop remembering what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you're emotionally despondent, then you need to do what Peter did. You need to right now look into the empty tomb 
and remind yourself that your hope is not in your job, your hope is not in your human relationships, your hope is not in whatever financial situation you're in, your hope is not in whatever diagnosis you were given just yesterday or this last week, that your hope, your victory, your assurance is found in Jesus Christ and that risen tomb. That that is what can get my emotions out from the depths of despair into a place where I can once again marvel that Jesus Christ is risen. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, I love this phrase, to a living hope. A hope that doesn't stop. A hope that doesn't end. A hope that continues every day. A hope that trumps circumstances. A hope that trumps my emotions. A hope that allowed me to have a relationship with a holy God through Jesus Christ. He's called me to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. In other words, no one can steal, no one can take, no one can rob me from the relationship that I have with a holy God through Jesus Christ in a home that I have forever in heaven. When every head bowed and every eye closed, Because like I said at the beginning of this message this morning, we fall into one of three categories in this room. We approach the resurrection passively. Maybe it's because of circumstances. Maybe it's because of emotions that we're feeling. And, and what I encourage you to do, and more importantly, what the Lord wants you to do, is he wants you to peer into that empty tomb. And he wants you to allow the hope of the resurrection to give you hope for whatever you're walking through. Here's what I also know. Some of us came in this room as skeptical. We've been trusting in the good that we can do, hoping that if the good outweighs the bad, that somehow we can have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. But what you've seen from God's word is if that was the case, then Jesus Christ would have never had to come and to die for you. He never would have needed to leave his home in heaven. And so if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know, Romans 10, 9 says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. There's no special prayer. But at the same time, I want to guide you in one because you may be here and you're like, man, I wouldn't even know what to pray. I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. Then let me help you. And if you're here today, I ask you to just pray this in the quietness of your mind and I say it out loud and just follow me. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are my savior. I believe that you lived a per perfect life for me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose again. Today, I put my full trust in you as my savior.